0: We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. Well, I want to welcome everyone to another edition of Healing Stories, and it's a great honor, and it's a blessing, and it's a privilege to be with Agogo Debbie who for me is someone I have known for a long time and who is someone who has always inspired me. And um, as we do on every uh, show, we ask the person a simple question to begin. And that is, Ogogo, could you tell us who you are?
1: Who am I? I think I am a person of faith, number one. Faith, I think, is the foundation of everything. Uh and then I would say I'm very competitive. Uh I'm a very faithful, competitive political person who wants to serve people.
0: I think if that if I could link all those together, that would be my answer. Well, that was one of the most succinct answers. Mm-hmm. It's clear that you have a gift in politics at GoGo. <laughs> and and one of the things that we're gonna talk about today is just how you link all those those pieces. Uh let's start with the first one in terms of faith. Uh, so much of our world right now is trying to make sense of uh, how things are going, uh, what will be in the future. And you're a, a man of charisma and a man who is in the political, the man uh, political world. And we've not had a politician on the podcast before. And yeah. this gives us an opportunity to kind of explore that. How do you? Yeah. Let, let's go right there. How do you deal with faith? in a political world, a go-go. I think we had that conversation when... Uh, and maybe you could talk a little bit about that when we first started talking about that.
1: Yeah, so I, we had a really profound conversation back in 2004. And before that, uh, I wasn't sure whether you liked me because I, I think I, I goofed off or wasn't serious in your class. And I was like, oh, man, it's terrible. It's totally <laughs> not serious. doesn't like... I just, you're very serious... You, was always, you were always very serious, huh. like you had a very serious like discerning presence about you. Huh. Uh, and, but we had this conversation over checks. We were copying checks for the walkathon, uh, and it was on election time, which is always a profoundly interesting time for me as someone who's interested in politics, uh, and just started talking about faith and politics and weaving these two uh, fields together. And I think within that, faith for me is about looking out for one another, looking out for people, uh, the least of these uh, and making sure that there's social justice in our society, uh, because we have to be Christ-like. I mean, God gave up his life. Jesus gave up his life for us. Uh, and what lengths are we willing to go to? Uh, to ensure that there's justice in this world for everyone. And my connection to politics is that I think ultimately, given how our society is structured, we've all consented to this governmental structure that we're in. And ultimately, you want uh, your government uh, to respond and to represent your values and to look out for the least of these. And I also just have a lot of interest in politics just from a general sense. But when you combine those two senses of faith-wise, we've got to look up for everybody, and politics is where you turn that value into action, Uh, it just makes sense uh, to be in both fields.
0: First of all, let me say I always liked you because you always had the best questions. And if you're a teacher, you want someone who's engaged in the questions. And what you've done with this aspect of an answer on faith is you've opened it right away to those on the margins and, and how that informs you. And is there something in your own life or story that led you to that? Is there a place or, or a person who kind of helped you to notice that this is really where you can find your faith is, is being with those on the margins?
1: Well, I I think my influenced by my parents uh, and their story. Uh, So my dad, in I think 1971, uh, and he came to this country because he wanted an education so they could see his dreams. But it was really tough for him. He didn't have a lot of money. He was working multiple jobs, unsafe jobs. He ultimately lost one of his fingers uh, in a workplace accident raising money so that he could go to school. Uh, my mom uh, came to this country in the mid eighties and spent her first couple of months sleeping on the floor of her cousin's apartment. And I think when I think of them and all the sacrifices that they had to make to give me the life that I've had and we're still an extremely fortunate family, of course, um, But I think you understand in listening to those stories and understanding what grows from it. If you you give people who are in the margins of society a chance to fulfill their potential, so many more things can come out of it. And if you're just taking care of those who are already doing well, there's this untapped potential that we're just ignoring that I think God... I always think of like the parable um, this one parable where uh, the master gives the seed to like three different of the servants and says, go out and do something And someone has you know invested it and grown it in different ways and one guy just hit it. And I think as society we have to invest in others and, and ensure that we're all uh, growing to our potential.
0: It's so powerful to know that the people who go forward can give us our inspiration, like your mom and dad. and And the costs of that, the costs of of providing, of trying to follow your way, this is this is our moment right now, isn't it? Um, yeah. This kind of sense of the unknown in front of us, how do you respond to your constituents, people within the neighborhoods that you're uh, within when they're just saying, I don't know what to do anymore? Uh, I, I mean, my finger's cut. I'm sleeping on uh, on, on floors that aren't my own. How does, how does someone like that get up every morning and, and go through the door and, and find some meaning and, and find some hope? How do you tell them that go-go?
1: Yeah, well, that's that's so tough. Um, that is so tough because I actually have a friend that, um, I was talking to about that very issue of, you know, some people are just in in really difficult places in life and it's it's profound and it's prolonged. And how do you motivate someone to to keep going? Um, and I, I don't know exactly, uh, how to answer that. Um, but I do know that I think it's on all of us to give those people hope. Uh, And I think for far too long in different, not only in government, but in foundations and institutions, I think we've tended to to not look at the least of these, because it's tough. Because if you're you're poor, uh, you're homeless, you might have an addiction problem, or you might not be the most articulate person, or you don't know, necessarily know how to conduct yourself in certain situations. Uh, and there are all these other complications that come with not being born into the best of circumstances. And I think you know one of the, the problems that I think we have is that we, we tend to say, oh, those people don't have value. Everyone has value. Mm-hmm. And I think it's on all of us to recognize the value in people and say, hey, I will – reach my hand out and lift you up with me Mm -hmm. and if that can be done i think people can get through those circumstances because there is hope and that is what we all have to do is provide people hope that eventually it will get better Mm
0: -hmm. i love that image of the hand coming in and lifting you in your own healing story are there people who took you and kind of lifted you uh, brought you brought you in that way I mean it would seem that you walk a path where you have a lot of people who kind of reach in and lift you up a go-go
1: yeah I would say you know obviously my parents number one um, I, I think I did not realize probably until I was well into my 20s how much of a privilege it, I, I've had it in life to have not only my parents but mentors um the, the parents of other of friends of mine who've all believed in me. I like have always had somebody who believed in me and believed in my potential. And that is such a, I think that's the most critical thing is to have somebody in your life who believes in you. Um, and, and along the way, I've had mentors who have given me opportunities that I would have never had uh, who have pointed me in the right direction. Um, and just, I, I remember uh, a good friend of mine, Amanda Stiff, who at the time, so I was in my first year of college and I was involved with the college Democrats. I was not sure what I was doing. Um, but there was a uh, there was a photo shoot with Ben Jen- Jennifer Gran- Ben Governor Jennifer Granholm, and I just signed up out of curiosity and I did it. And Amanda Stick gave me her card, and I remember talking to um, Romeo Raghavan and uh, Libby Benton, and they said you really have to do an internship this summer somewhere politics. And I didn't, I didn't know anybody in politics except Amanda Stitt. And so I, I, had, I had her card. And I emailed her and I said, hey, could you give me some advice on some internships? And she said, sure. Uh, why don't you come to Lansing and interview with our campaign? And I, I got there, and the first person I met was Walt Herzig. Walt Herzig is a fellow UV High alum and just so happened to mention it within like the first couple of minutes of our, our meeting he's like it's going to be great to to meet with to work with you this summer and that like that made the interview so much easier because i knew i was got in got it yeah now of course like i have learned in politics that nobody anybody who's interested rarely gets turned away but for an 18 year old kid to have that like oh like people believe in me uh, I've gotten this path. You know, I really felt lifted up, and that encouraged me to really blossom uh, on my path.
0: This is so important, isn't it? Because just noticing someone and believing in them can be some of the greatest balm of hope in a time where we're so fearful. Uh, and and you're encouraging <laughs> us to who are those people in our lives? Because uh, we never know what that will do for us. And here, this opened the door for you. Um, are, are there things that when you started to go along, you kind of said, I, I politics, this is, this is a pretty interesting, uh, kind of horizon. How did you settle on where you are in, in this moment in time? I mean, how you 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 have a platform. I mean, you have a website, you have, you know, you're, you're going it, there's the Agogo voice. Uh, how, how do you decide on that? How do you decide what is going to be your voice in politics? Well,
1: I, I still don't know the answer to that. It's all ever evolving. Um, I think one of uh, a great piece of advice I got from Walt uh, is that there are a lot of people who say well I want to be this in politics and they just are obsessed on the path to get there Hmm. and then there are other people in politics who look at like okay this is something I'm good at and this is something that I can do that can help people and interest me so I'm going to do this as well as I can And then that eventually opens doors uh, to you. Uh, And so I've kind of of embraced that path, um, although I do have goals and dreams. uh, You always have. And that, you know, I look at my, like, path in in politics. So I I want to, I think I'll give you, like, the short version, but I started working for Wayne County Corporation Council. Um, because I knew they were going through financial difficulties and they were kind of, you know, it was happening at the same, about the same time as Detroit bankruptcy. And I felt like they were being overlooked and this would be a really great way for me to get involved. Got involved there and then decided, uh, partially because of, you know, the, the president's election and other factors, okay, like this is now a place where. I can be of use running for office for the state house. That didn't work out. But along the way, over the previous 10 years, every election cycle, I had done something uh, involving legal work, voter protection. Uh, And that prepared me for the role that I'm in now, where I'm state director of all voting as local, working to eliminate discriminatory barriers to voting and making sure everybody has equal access to the ballot. So it's kind of been like, yes, you know, there's, there's something here that I feel like you can contribute and help to make better, and I'm going to embrace that and work in that. And then oh, you realize, oh, that's opened the door to all these other things that
0: I'm uh, really passionate about mail is a huge issue right now isn't it uh my my mom tried to send us muffins for my son simon and it it didn't it took a little while to get here and the muffins actually they're always good muffins when they come from my mom so it doesn't matter how long (laughs) right but we're hearing all of these kind of blockages in terms of voting with mail and uh, I gotta tell you, my wife loves the mail, and maybe there's some kind of consciousness going on here because this is speaking about how we started with those on the margins, and how do you have that dialogue about the mail and about voting and about having leadership be be taking care of those on the margins?
1: Yeah, I love the mail too. I love to send people cards like to write a little note and send it to somebody. Uh, I think it's such a powerful thing uh, I remember yeah. just to digress a little yeah. bit I remember there was a there was a woman I dated in law school my first year of law school and every week she would send me a little note just to encourage me and that, those I mean that really started um, my my love affair was writing people notes because it's it's really powerful when you see something tangible because you know somebody's taken the time mm-hmm. To, to write something down and give it to you. Um, but, yeah, the mail is such an issue, The election <laughs> cycle. Uh, it's not something that I ever anticipate. It's one of those things that just happens, although I think it's somewhat purposeful, unfortunately. Um, but I think for us, what we're kind of looking at is encouraging people to mail their applications in early, and... Uh, and really educate people on how they can get involved in the process, and also provide them with alternatives. Uh, there's a great um, resource, the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, and they recommend that there be one Dropbox for every 20,000 voters, so that it's accessible to anybody, with with means or not with means, to return their ballots. And it's been it's been successful where it's been really uh, well implemented, and that's kind of one of the things we're pushing for right now and trying to show leadership in a different way. So you've got to adapt sometimes.
0: This is so important in integrating a story, isn't it? I mean, letter writing and the ways that you yourself, even however, I, I imagine you didn't get married to that person. But, yes. <laughs> you know, it's still it still moved your heart. And we're in an in age. I mean, here you and I are flipping from Zoom to FaceTime to do video. And yet there is something very powerful about having something written and sent. And here, if that becomes the vote of this election, won't that be even more powerful because everything's so quick I just want to get it done I just want to get it done but there's something in in the mailing um, I mean we've just moved as well I'm gonna to have to do the ballot um, through the mail and 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 cast that vote and and so I think your way of strategy is going to be very significant in in the next nine to ten to 12 months and beyond about this method of mail
1: yeah no I the mail is going to be crucial, and I think it's, it's heartening to see that there's more attention being paid to it, and hopefully it gets better as things move along, but it, you know, we do have to pay attention to it.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the heroes of, I believe, both your and my life was San Ignatius Loyola, and San Ignatius developed an order and a movement around letter writing. And I had uh, actually a letter out this morning. I didn't know if we would be able to use it. But he had sent this in 1555 to Jerome uh, Vines. And I just want to read you a little of what he says. He says, You should come to a decision and do what you can calmly and gently. Do not be disturbed about the rest, but leave to God's providence what you cannot manage yourself. God is well pleased with your earnestness and moderate anxiety with which we attend to your obligations but God is not pleased with that anxiety which afflicts the soul the, the, Yeah how do you how do you respond to those who are asking you to help them with their decision I mean here's 1955 a letter and you as a politician are affecting people's way of life and of decision making, and and how do you do it with a sense of calm and with a sense of gentleness?
1: Yeah, I I think that is, you know, you know, I have not been, you know, I'm not an elected official, um, although I aspire to be. Yes, you do. Um, but I do think one one of the things you have to realize and I tell this to people who come and ask me for advice when they're running for office, is that there are no perfect decisions. Any decision you make is going to disappoint at least one person. And you have to understand that and embrace that and live with that. Uh, And you just have to... I think taking all the information that you have, um, discern what's the right decision and make it, and and don't look back, um, because that's I mean that when you think about it, that God has given us our intelligence. He's given us people to advise us. He's given us science. He's given us philosophy, sociology like all of these things to help us make decisions. And it's our job as human beings to embrace all those things that God's developed and then make the best decisions we can and rely on the fact that God loves us and and wants to put us in good position. So trying to say like, Oh, we've got to make the best decision for everybody. And Oh, if this person's hurt or that that's really disrespecting God because he has already put you in a position to make a decision. He's already put you in a position to make a decision, and you've got to trust that that decision that you discern through a discernment process is the best one and the one that he wanted.
0: It's beautiful, Gogo. You you place it back on that sense of ego, uh, and and the whole way of thinking. It's not all on me, right? Yeah, uh, if if you if you are it's all on you then the ego is is giving you the decision. If it's on God then God is in the decision. Uh, and
1: yeah, now ego is ego is is such a dangerous thing because I think you have to have some of it to you know get up in the morning and be ambitious and Get things done because you have to think like yes, I am capable. I'm capable of doing these like important things, but there's a balance and an understanding that everything that you're capable of doing is based on the fact that you are a child of God, mm-hmm.
0: and that ultimately, it's it's about Him and not us. Mm-hmm. And I was struck by that when we were together at UD High in Detroit and trying to understand what child of God meant from a very uh, diverse uh, group of people. I I couldn't have wanted to uh, be a part of a a high school that was more uh, engaging in the different pockets of where people were at. And Has that influenced you? I imagine it has, Um, just in terms of your own politics of of being educated in in a high school that people were from various different backgrounds. Um, And then in the city of Detroit, how that has always been a place where people have tried to come together with race, with, with religion. I think of even the Muslim community in different pockets. I mean, how do you bring this together? So two questions. How is education uh, affected you in that kind of a climate, but then also uh, what's your method of, of a common ground of bringing people together?
1: What was the second part of that? You broke up a little bit.
0: What's your method of bringing people together, of developing a common ground?
1: Okay. Yeah, I would say that the first part of it, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I So I went to St. Valentine in Redford, and I would say of all the guys I went to uh, middle school, elementary school, grade school with uh, that went on to Catholic education in high school, the vast, vast, vast majority of them went to CC, Catholic Central. And this is not to bash not on Redford, Wixom, Detroit, Catholic Central. <laughs> you need those votes to go <laughs> but by. there was a There's a difference there um, in that U of D was based in Detroit and I thought it was really important to have an education in Detroit and to be around people of different economic statuses, different racial backgrounds, and also to have that service aspect. I think one of the most powerful things that I got to experience at U of D uh was well, senior year when we had the, the service. I think it was every Wednesday you'd go and you serve somewhere. and I, I served at the cabbage and soup kitchen where we'd serve the, serve the homeless. And I actually went back there when I was running for office. They happened to have some type of gathering. Um, and it was weird because I had knocked on somebody's door. I had a really great conversation with him, and he said, Hey, we have, we're having a meeting at the, the Capuchin Soup Kitchen uh, two days from now. Are you interested? You know where that is? I was like, yeah, I do know where that is. <laughs> and I went back there and I noticed some of the people I'd worked with, and it was really great to connect with them. But yeah, that teaches you a lot of humility uh, and understanding that everybody has value no matter where they come from, and they have, and that there's something that they can contribute to the overall conversation and the overall things that we do. Uh, and so to answer your second part, I think when you're trying to bring people together, it is important to try and get to know them before you try and get to know before you try and get something from them or ask them to do something because, uh, everybody has their triggers and some people want to be, Uh, managed in one way and other people want to be managed in another way and if you don't respect that, people pull back or they disengage and that is, I think that's the toughest part because sometimes it's not always, especially in politics, people have their guards up uh, and they're not really open, but in getting to know and understanding that there's value in everybody at the very least you can get go through a process of where everybody feels like they've been heard. And I think if everybody feels like they, they are heard, even if like a, a decision that they don't agree with comes through the process, they still respect it. Hmm. But if they feel ignored, then you're not really reaching uh, a good place of bringing people together. Hmm.
0: This is what our world needs, isn't it? I mean, this this way of leadership to hear... And it it is not a skill that you normally see on uh, the television. Uh, How how we develop ways of being with as human beings in places of hearing. I mean, we always hear, you just got to listen, you got to listen. But I, I could sit and not really hear you. And that to me is something you have always done, Agogo, is I think you've been very um, critically aware of trying to listen to people because you're always trying to ask more questions. So that that to me is a great gift that you bring. Where are you headed next? Where, where are you going to go? Uh, what's going to be the election for you? Uh, what's kind of next for you?
1: Well, that's a that's a very interesting question. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I you know, this job that I'm in is a, a really nice one. Uh, we're getting to really profoundly affect this election that's coming up, and making sure that everybody has the right uh, to voice uh, through the ballot box, regardless of their partisan persuasion. Uh, that's really exciting, and you know, I I could see myself doing it for a lot longer than this election cycle, and. That opportunities there, I could see myself maybe going back in the government or running for office again. Um, I think it just so happens uh, that I've got to discern and, and figure out what's, what's right, but um, I hope
0: I think the common thing is that at the end of the day, I want to be serving people in some way in this political field. It's wonderful. And, Agogo, I'm so grateful that you took the time with uh, the podcast today. If people wanted to go to the website or learn more about how they could uh, really get out the vote in terms of the mail, uh, how would they go and do that?
1: Yeah, well, I think our website, uh, allvotingslocal.org, is a pretty good website uh, to find out more about voting and how you can get involved. Uh, I think if you live in Michigan and you just want to learn about the mechanics Go to michigan.gov slash vote, and you can find a lot there. Uh, And if you don't live in Michigan, just Google who your local clerk is, uh, your county or your municipal clerk, and find out the tools that you need. And make sure you uh, exercise your right to vote. It's very important.
0: Well, that's our healing story. And Agogo, you're writing the letters for us uh, as we begin to come back in to have a voice for those, especially on the margins. So thanks for that, Agogo. Yeah. Time heals all wounds. Join us for our next episode of Healing Stories.